0: Gas world this is caribbean power lunch where we feature black owned businesses i am your host kevin valley and i am here in barbados again today i'm talking to a life engineer that's right folks not a regular engineer a life engineer mr gregory skeets how you doing sir
1: I am doing well, thanks, Kevin. Glad to have you in Barbados. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's good to be here, B. <laughs> <laughs> you got the dialect.
0: <laughs> I try, I try. Tony, on, Tony, Tony. My, uh, my Bayesian accent doesn't really work very well, but okay.
1: Uh, you got to start somewhere.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so here's your thing, Gregory. All right. So we were just talking about this talk you gave to YLAI, Y-L-A-I, Young Leaders American Initiatives. Yep, that's right. All right. This talk you gave it. October 2017 and you came out there like a soccer star. You told everybody you raised their flags. <laughs> you, told, um, you, you played some soccer. I think everybody stood up, they danced and everything. And you gave one of the most energetic presentations I've ever seen in my life. Right. I mean, I was up, I was watching it by my friend's couch and I was, standing up, and I was shaking a little bit, <laughs> but then I also come to learn that when you were a child and you, you had to give us say a prayer in church, two lines, by the second line you froze. So how you go, how did you engineer your life (laughs) to the point where you could go from that shy little boy to rocking the mic at (laughs) eye?
1: Wow, that that definitely was quite a story. And it did happen, folks. I had two lines, church recitation, and I forgot the second one, clean, entirely. And for a while, like Kevin up until maybe... Five to seven years ago. Yeah. You could not pay me to speak in front of a crowd. I'd be the typical engineer in the back, make sure things work, be it sound, be it whatever. Right. But I was not the guy to take the lead. And honestly, the only thing that I would say brought it out of me to to face the fear was when I came to realize what my dream was. When I started to see like if this is what I want for myself at age 70, age 80, things that I teach in life engineering I have to reverse engineer that person and if I'm going to be the person who is speaking in microphone on microphones that fill the stadiums filled across the world you gotta at least get you know five or ten <laughs> covered to begin with and it wasn't easy I mean the first time I got up to speak you know knees shaking behind yeah, the scenes you. <laughs> many many times it happens right right but the human brain has a deep deep ability to change right Whatever you expose it to, you may be bad at first. I was bad at first. Right. Everything that you try, every time you try it always learns, always adjusts. Okay. So
0: how much of that would you say is really based on purpose? So cause it doesn't sound like you, you went to any sort of public speaking training, okay, like eyes at the camera, <laughs> you keep your chest tall, you know, you breathe in five seconds, out five seconds, make sure your belly shows. It doesn't sound like you did any of that. It just sounds like well, what I saw was raw passion. That's what really got you there?
1: Yeah, I mean, at the beginning, it starts with that. So, of course, I completed my John Maxwell certification about five years back. Now. So you're a
0: professional coach. You're not a professional coach. You're not someone who just decide. hey, well, I'm going to be a coach.
1: No, they, <laughs> and there are a lot of people who just call themselves coaches. Right, I like we coach. Don't understand, yeah, without understanding it professionally. A lot of gurus who tell people what to do. That's not what a coach is supposed to be. But we know everybody who's ever excelled, Usain Bolt, well, and athletics, Lionel Messi and football, for example, they always had coaches. So a coach is someone who comes alongside you and helps you to draw what's already in there. I'm a professional, I'm a professional touch, right? But many people call themselves
0: coaches just because you don't need a certification for it. It's <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Because I know that when you try to decide what career path you want to take, you're looking at accounting, architecture, yeah, a bunch of other stuff. But you had an uncle who told you, hey, study engineering. When you study engineering, those skills will be transferred to anything. And and that is true because I'm in finance, right? And um, Become Investable, that's I mean—that's a company where you can help companies to optimize their businesses to attract funding, yeah. right? And we have an engineering team, a mechanical engineer like yourself. Mm-hmm. And he's never been in an accounting class. He hasn't done an MBA or so, but... We had a financial statement to dissect and he was like, but KV, this thing ain't making sense. How would the profit could be this if the revenue is this? And he's just breaking it down like that. And I know people, I'm going to call their names. I know people who have studied accounting and stuff. They weren't able to give me that level of analysis just by glancing at a financial statement. So it's, it's really interesting how the engineering brain thinks or is trained to think. Yeah. So can you just break that down for me? Because I see also in your lessons, there's also an engineering vibe to it. <laughs> you know, you, you use a lot of engineering, um, jogging and stuff, lean this, you know, all these things. So okay. very systematic. So let's bring that down.
1: Yeah, it's true. Um, I always I share a story on that.
0: Oh, I love stories. Yeah.
1: So <laughs> when I was completing maybe my third year of engineering, I attended a workshop and a senior engineer was speaking there. And he asked the room full of student engineers What's the definition of the word engineering? And I was like, hmm, I studied this thing for three years. What really is engineering? And, you know, because of the spelling, E-N, G-I-N, and so on, people think engine. They think mechanical, they think technical, they think electrical, they think building. Right. But the word engineer actually stems from the Latin word engineer, meaning ingenuity or creative problem-solving.
0: That is a highlight. <laughs> that is a highlight. I love that. Okay. Yeah.
1: And that opened my eyes as to, to what a pure engineer should be. It shouldn't matter the field, the, the nature of your study, if you're training the fundamentals. be it life, be it business, be it mechanical electrical, it shouldn't matter. You understand the basics of problem solving. You understand the basics of design. So it might become a life engineer, that's basically what we're helping people to do. See the future. Make a blueprint, be it life or business, and then reverse engineer that with what you're doing today in a very systematic way.
0: Okay. So life engineer. Yeah. start from young. Yeah. And I know you start the case from young. You have this series, Pilly Pelican. Pilly the Pelican, yep. Axel the Ant. Yep. (laughs) So are you Pilly Pelican? Like, how, how does this work? What is that? What is that
1: series about? So Pilly the Pelican was inspired by the national bird of Barbados, which is the pelican. Okay. So it's a symbol of pride and in industry, which is the Barbados national motto, of course. But if I were to be a character, it would be Axel the Ant. Because Axel is an engineer. So in the books as well, he is kind of like the problem solver. Whereas Pili is an example of leadership. So I'm not any one character, but there are bits of me in them, but they have their own identities in a sense. So they did, and of course, the first book is about Ashley Exploring a Day of Life in Barbados. And that was, I saw an interesting statistic, which is that over 85% of the publishing industry is white. In terms of the minorities, 15% is spread across Black, Asian, Latino, all the minorities. And in literacy, it's important for children to be able to see themselves in the story and see familiar places and spaces. So when a child opens a book and sees map of Barbados, the flag of Barbados, some um, flying fish in cuckoo mm-hmm. on, a, on a storybook page, it draws them in in a completely different way. All right? So that was the first book. The second book was all about milk on the move, based on my experience working in the manufacturing sector. Now. The books kind of focus on the topics of leadership, entrepreneurship, STEAM, so that's science, technology, engineering, art, mathematics, but we want to use it as a tool to help children to engineer their lives, but in a fun, creative way that they can relate to. So Life Engineer is more adult and corporate focused, whereas Pilly Pelican is kids, fun, entertainment, family oriented.
0: I see you got a lot of support for Pilly Pelican from a lot of government agencies, the OECS, was it? Well,
1: that was the U.S. Embassy. Right. Or right. the US Embassy, right? Yeah. Okay. To break down Eastern Caribbean and the OECS. They joined our national project where we're helping children to dream fifty years ahead. So imagine Barbados 2066 from 2016. So if you're 10 years old now, you're gonna retire at is 60 or is 70, 50 to 60 years. What are you doing in that
0: space of time to shape the country that we want to see? Lovely. Okay. So now let's talk to the adults, right? Yeah. (laughs) So let's say you're, I don't know, 31, 32, and you want to retire at 35. (laughs) How do I do that? There are many, many, many ways, (laughs) of course, and that's
1: where there's room to get creative. Because firstly, if you break down your problem, it is a mathematical equation. Your retirement is not based on anything else than having enough financial resources so the question is, what can you do from your resources, your abilities to engineer a way to maybe earn, I don't know, let's say 30 million U.S. <laughs> right. over the course of three years? Nice. It may be 10 million one dollar products every year. It may be one $10 million product per year. Who knows? But you do that assessment, that analysis. This is where I am. This is where they want to be
0: how can we creatively problem-solve in this instance? So it's always a nice, systematic, systematic engineering, yeah. ingenuous <laughs> yeah, Okay. Because I don't like fluff.
1: Like a lot of people say, you know, just go passion, just follow your heart, just follow your dreams. Like, There's room for that. You have to be passionate, you have to believe, but the hard way, like, I'm very passionate about developing children with Pelley the Pelican. But when the production costs hit you, when there's demand, when you got a ship across countries, when you got delivery, when you need fuel when you got to play employees. Passion doesn't pay employees. Right, right. And you need to be able to pay them that you can build your team, that you can serve your customers. And it has to be a synergy working together, the passion and the practicality. How many employees do you have? So we primarily use a range of freelancers. So keeping the operation lean at this stage, using a project-oriented approach, so you hire on a project basis as required. So if it's a peak time, it could go up to eight to 12. If it's a lower period based on what's happening, it
0: could be two to four. Is that like just-in-time management, the GIT thing? Yeah. See, just, I'm trying to use engineering job. I'm <laughs>
1: trying to keep some, up. Some just-in-time, just yeah. So you try to play things that you learned in industrial engineering in your own business. I have other businesses to do it as well.
0: Makes sense. Makes sense. So John Maxwell coaching certification, how you discover that? Why you wanted to do that? Like what what made you decide, hey, we're gonna I want to go and teach other people all these all these principles, all these engineering principles to apply to their lives. Yeah. Make it better.
1: So I first discovered John Maxwell when I discovered my own weaknesses and inefficiencies in leadership.
0: You? Inefficient? Oh,
1: yeah, for sure. For sure, <laughs> boy, Kevin. Because you go all the way through university, you got this mechanical engineering degree, you know, heat and power generation, HVAC thermodynamics, fluid dynamics, all these things. And then you're put into a factory setting, and then in a couple of months, you have a team of employees to manage. These could be guys that are anywhere from 10 to 15 years older to more than double my age. Right. Guys who've seen it all in the industry. And you're asked now to lead. And you realize very quickly that engineering alone won't do it. It wouldn't do it. And I started to realize through making several mistakes, ending up in some some tricky positions in a corporate job that I needed something else. I started to to read beyond engineering. So I had a mentor from Mexico and one day he pulled me aside and he said, Greg, what do you know about leadership? And I was like, well, that is something you do when you have worked for a period of time and you, you get the manager position and and, you know, you become a leadership person. <laughs> right. And he was like, no, man, you are lost. Let me show you something. He went to his computer, pulled up Amazon.com and he said, have you ever seen this book? And it was the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. He said, Greg, you're reading manufacturing technology. You're reading fluid mechanics. You are reading all these things, but you don't know nothing about leadership, man. You're not going to go far. And he said, read this book. And I started there with, that was my first John Maxwell book. And I liked it because it was based on law and principle. And you learn that leadership is very much art and science. And I love that book because I've not found any other book that does not include one or more of those 21 laws at a fundamental level. So it's the core of what I teach as a John Maxwell coach because one of the laws is the law of LID, which means that each of us, we have a limit in some form or fashion on our personal capacity. But then, I didn't understand. He said, everything rises and falls on leadership. And I was like, everything rises and falls on leadership? Nah, man, there's economics, there's engineering, there's all these other things. And I was like, how can that be? But then, as I started to look, you realized that one, one person can only do so much. At some point, you reach the limit of your personal capacity for things that you can put your hands on. And you need to have other people who share your vision, who share your idea, who want to move in the same direction as you do. And I hit that limit in my job. Like I was good at engineering, but I wasn't good at leading. And I started digging in these books, giving and Within a few months, I started to see changes in my team. And I started to give men the responsibility to do what they knew how to do. To honor their experience, to honor their skills, to empower them to do more. And people started seeing my shift performing above average. Like, you know, what's, what's happening? Like, what are you doing? Is it the production planning? Is it the operations engineering? Like, no. I spent most of my shift running around serving people. Making sure everybody was alright, making sure everybody had break, that you had lunch, that you were rested, that your family all right. <laughs> because everybody is still a person first. You know, some of you see people are just employees, are human resources, but you don't get to separate from your own issues as an individual because you step into an office or a factory. And
0: when they understood these things, my job was easy. When they learned how to to lead. So you already had the the concrete and technical engineering side, but just needed that other human side. Human side. Okay. And that book, does it contrast or does it complement this book, The 48 Laws of Power? Because I look at those 48 Laws of Power and some parts of it feels like the devil is talking to me. Kevin, you know
1: what? I'll be honest with you. There are many books that I've, I've read in the past five to seven years. I listen to most of my books in audio. So I've probably gone through about 400. The 48 laws of power for me personally was one that I haven't gotten through as yet. Because similar to you, it just didn't quite vibe with me some of the principles. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It's not saying that I won't go back and finish it. I I may try again, but on the initial vibe that I got from it, as we've seen in the Caribbean, it just didn't mesh. The 21 laws, however, is built on the fundamentals of truth. Most of them were drawn from the Bible, ultimately. Right. And basically, it shows, in summary, as the core leadership law that the key to greatness, the key to making anything that lasts and is sustainable is by serving other people and empowering them to become their best. It's not about anybody putting you first and you being the man in power and you having control over minions, it's about the person that's actually creating other leaders. The law of multiplication. Because when you can build other leaders, and if you look at the five laws of leadership, you know, one of John Maxwell's other books, the highest level of leadership, you may not even be known to your followers. Because if you understand influence and how to develop other leaders, you don't have to exist. Like people don't need to know that that it is you. Because it's not about you. It's about an idea, a vision that transcends time, that even if you leave this physical space, doesn't matter because the idea can live forever. So if you look at the leaders who've lasted through history, be it Jesus Christ or Martin Luther King, they were leading an idea. It was not about them. So even when they no longer existed on the planet, people still followed them because they were built around an idea. And I like that aspect of leadership where it's not about any one individual It's not about social media followers. It's not about any of those things. It's about people developing people towards a common vision that adds value to the world. And leadership is not positive or negative. Some people make this mistake that you have to be a good person to be an effective leader. There are many, many very effective leaders with a negative moral compass. So it's not a question of integrity or morality. Leadership could be good, positive, or negative. However, the principles more or less remain the same. And we need people who are positive, that understand the principles, that we can counter the negative, which naturally tends to rise. It's about ingenuity a positive impact. Yeah. For sustainable, lasting leadership, because you can lead on fear. And we've seen leaders through history who've led on fear
0: but it never tends to last. Right. So ingenuity, positive impact, positive impact and serving. Yeah. Okay. So tell me about the types of services that you provide at Life Engineer Inc. Okay.
1: It falls into two, two broad categories. We work with individuals, developing themselves, be it personally or their enterprise. And we work with organizations. Again, covering both aspects, the people development and the business development. Because my specialty in engineering was always systems. So we can evaluate how your operation is actually running, streamline it, make it more efficient, more profitable, reduce waste, all those things. But we complement that with the people development because you can build the best systems, but if you don't have influence on the team and they don't have actual buy-in to how you're looking to run your operation, the systems all flop. Yeah, you need to enroll people before you get them responsibilities. Yeah, you know, so it goes hand in hand. And for any organization, it could be one or the other that is weaker. So you can evaluate, okay, where your people are in terms of their development, especially the leadership? Because we see in Fortune 500 companies, if a company is struggling, the first thing they do is what? Cut off the CEO. Cut off the CEO. Yeah. Gone. Because if you were a good leader, you wouldn't be here. Right. So if your leadership is strong, then you have a chance to build throughout the organization.
0: All right. So let's talk about your track record a little bit. So you've worked with a lot of well, financial sector companies. You work with the Central Bank of Barbados. You work with CIBC. Should yeah. I be calling these guys' names? <laughs> let's just say you worked with a lot of large banks in Barbados. Some organizations, yeah. Or you went about acquiring such high-profile clientele though.
1: Honestly, in those instances, the opportunities somewhat found me. So as you know, I've been more active on LinkedIn, making sure people are aware of what you do and what you offer. And many of the clients that I've found have actually sought me out. Through LinkedIn, right? Um, through LinkedIn or maybe seen it there and I got in contact
0: with a website or something. That's else. a very pow- powerful message because yeah. a lot of professionals, young, a lot of young professionals are always telling hey. Go on LinkedIn, post your content, whatever it is you have to talk about, you know something that you want to talk about. Yeah. And even if people don't lie, because you realize engagement on LinkedIn is not all that great, right? No. (laughs) Even if people don't lie, even if people don't share, people see. Yeah, And not only people see, the right people see. The right
1: people see. That is it.
0: So that's really powerful, right? Yeah.
1: Because it depends on what you're offering as an entrepreneur, you know? There are times that Facebook and Instagram may be better, but when you're offering professional services, especially... LinkedIn is a, a great place to be. So, I mean, I still have platforms maintained on the others, but to me, LinkedIn has the most value
0: um, for your efforts, basically. Yeah, for sure. So you said we're not, about, we're not about fluff, right? No, no fluff. Yeah, so we you want to get into the meat. We're about to go into the lean meat right now, <laughs> right? And as you mentioned, LinkedIn, I, I pulled some stuff that I saw you post on LinkedIn. I really think it'd be great for... I want to say a white audience, but I'm, I'm yeah. not going to say I have a white audience. <laughs> <laughs> you will, though. You will, though. It's coming. But a couple of things, right? So you said there are five Ps to turbocharge your professional performance. Mm-hmm. How do you run through that? I think that was really interesting. You okay, said picture, plan, practice, pause. Hey, I almost got it right. P. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, it's just another creative way to share exactly the, the system that it goes through. Because I firmly believe that everything starts with a vision, which is the picture. So Stephen Covey had written, you always start with the end in mind. A lot of people make plans, but they haven't actually imagined the end result. The clearer you can see the end result that is desired, the easier it is to start planning. So you always begin with the picture. And then the planning um, falls into place more easily. And I'll be honest with you, Kev. I myself got to take some notes on these five P's because <laughs> if I had to give my one of my weaknesses cognitively, it would be memory. <laughs> so like, produce is the next one. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> produce. Produce was number three. Yeah. Yeah. So picture, plan, produce. Right. And it makes sense when you, terms in, when you think in order of sequence. In sequence, yeah. Because that's how I remember stuff. Right. My, my wife would always uh, look at me in a funny way because <laughs> like, she's like, Greg, how could you not remember that? But I remember things systematically. You mean like she just did? <laughs> so like, I will not necessarily, even from engineering school, I'm not a good I can remember all the formula. I really want to have to prove it over to remind myself of how it works. Right. Because I remember how things work in sequence.
0: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so produce, so you have to put your plan into action. I think that's, imp- that's yeah. probably the most important stage. That might be the stage where people... Stick the most. Correct. Because everybody has, a, has an idea. Everybody has a plan. Yeah. Right? How many people take action on that plan rather than get up and go and work? That is the big one, as you said, you know, because
1: you picture, you plan, but if you don't produce, you have no chance of a result. And there are people who don't picture, who never plan and just produce something and they get a result. Now, it may be 5% success rate. They may fail 19 times and just achieve once. But that once is more than the other person who's never tried to produce at all. So that produce is really the big one. Another I remember, the next one is he pause. Because after you produce, after you've taken action, it's important to check, to check the result. How did it go? And not just learning from failure, but learning from success as well. What worked, what didn't work. And then the, the fifth P if it produces what brings success, then if the fifth P, which is pay, pay it forward, is the one that brings significance. Because a lot of people get the results and then they stop at themselves. That I got it. This is my secret. Nothing else. But when you're paying it forward, when you're helping somebody else to advance at the same time, because the top is a lonely place if you're there by yourself. So my mission, similar to yours, is to help the people around
0: me in my circle to advance as well. All right. Mean, how do we get people to say, hey, what, let me pay it forward? Because a lot of people think of success as a zero-sum game. Yeah. Where, okay, I win, you lose. Nobody else can win out there. How do you get to change that mindset? Mm, It's not a straightforward thing. There are a couple of things I
1: would say, like there are two ways to have the tallest building around town. One is to walk around detonating everybody else's and crushing everything around until until yours is the last standing. Or... You build up the entire community and you will find that as you do that, you would always be protected because when you help other people advance their buildings as well, you always get in some form in return. And it doesn't even matter if your building goes 10 feet tall and the people you help go 15 and 20 feet tall, as long as you wanted a 10 foot tall building. If you then want a 100 foot building then you, you know, you work on how you work out yourself but we like to compare relative to others. And I think the key is to not do that, to have the battle purely on the inside. Because especially in entrepreneurship, it doesn't make any sense. We all start with different amounts of resources. We start from different places. So who is more successful? The man that has a million dollars and started with a dollar less or the man that started with 10 and ended up with 100? I like people that can start with 10 and make 100. And move 10 times forward as opposed to the person that just increased 0.0001% and say, I'm a big success because of this result. Right. Because I see success as distance moved as opposed to just the final destination achieved. Like you want the result, you want the end result, of course, but it's about what it will make of you in the process. My background is process engineering, so I love that process. And the second thing I would say is that a lot of this approach to success is modern day. There was a time, especially in our people, Caribbean people, where everybody had a little. Yeah. (laughs) Our grandparents didn't have much. Yeah. And they had so many children. They had so many children. (laughs) Yeah. People got 15 and 20 children. And they're making it work, right? Yeah. And they're, they're going above and beyond. They're, they're raising animals because this pig is the school books this year. My grandparents all raised animals. My grandmothers were seamstresses. They made dresses and they worked, again, for things that they never directly benefited from, you know. And that's why paying it forward is important to me because we need to remember that what we have now, be it education, be it material things, they didn't have but they sacrifice to give us the better chances. And it's important for us to continue that. Not just say yeah, we make it, we got the big house, we got the Mercedes-Benz and Big Rides, but that we can pay it forward for the generations to come, that we do it in a
0: systematic foundation way, you know? Yeah, I like how you think generationally about that. Yeah. So I'm new here. What is the entrepreneurship environment like in Barbados? I think there's a lot of
1: a lot of interest in entrepreneurship at the moment I think is for a number of reasons. One, you know that Barbados is going through some economic challenges at the moment and some people are being forced into entrepreneurship. That is one way that people enter it. Others still have been working in, in jobs that is not necessarily satisfying to them and they, they know that they're capable of more. And I think more Younger people, especially in our demographic, are stepping out to take a chance on entrepreneurship. So I would say it's very very vibrant. There's a lot of interest. And the key is really helping people to understand the fundamentals of entrepreneurship. Because I myself would admit, I started my companies largely based on passion. So I knew this was my purpose. This was my dream. And then within a year, you realize that I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> the numbers aren't adding up. This isn't making any sense. Because like, I started well being full-time employed. And when you're full-time employed, it masks some of the weaknesses in your entrepreneurial game. Right. So you're doing stuff, you're out there, but you're not depending on your entrepreneurial efforts, working month in, month out, that you can feed yourself, take care of your family, honor your responsibilities. So I think we're to that place where the interest in entrepreneurship is there, but we need to get people to understand the pure fundamentals of it. Beyond the passion, besides what you want to do, because I was a very good technician. I could speak, I could coach, I could train, I could write books. But how do you manage the business of doing that? That you're able to build, to grow, and to grow a team. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, which is the, the ultimate
0: goal. Yeah. So the listenership for and Paul is just primarily young entrepreneurs yeah. and um, maybe a lot of cypreneurs, So people who have full-time jobs and still do their thing on the side correct? and that sort of thing. Right. So I want to kind of pivot into this post that you made. Three lessons from entrepreneurship that can help people who are still employed, stay employed yeah. if they want to stay employed. And I think that was really interesting. I think you spoke about you don't get paid for time spent. It's not about hours for dollars. Yeah, dollars for hours or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's dollars for deliverables. It's dollars for the value that you create. That is it. Yeah. Can you go into that a little bit? I think I think those three points are really important. If you can't remember I mean, a minimum, I'll help you. Yeah, yeah, no sure. <laughs> well, yeah. I appreciate that for sure.
1: <laughs> so yeah, that first point of getting paid for value delivered as opposed to spending time or turning up. If you're currently working a side hustle, you will quickly find out that... You need to deliver value and have it worked out how much that value is worth based on all the other things you have to do around it. I found out the the hard way in many ways because you were still comfortable whether the business worked or not in a particular month. it wasn't that big a deal. yeah, you want it to be positive, but if it isn't, well, we just you know cut back this month because the salary coming on the fifteenth right but. That mindset can make a difference even when you are an employee because some employees focus on doing the minimum. So that's not my job description, not me. But you begin to stand out when you're the person who can bring an entrepreneurial eye to the situation where you can go to management and say, you know what? I noticed we are wasting some time or some money here. And I think maybe if we try this, we can reduce our costs, we can improve our efficiency and you become the person who is not just another person on payroll. So even in, in, in my organizations, you want, we want everybody on the team to realize that you have a role in bringing income into the company. So there are times that we take the whole team you say, okay, right now, for the next hour, everybody making phone calls, getting in contact with the company to see if we can do this next step. Because it's important for people to be aware that no matter if you're an employee or an entrepreneur, if income isn't coming in, your job is not secure by any means. And everyone has a role to play in that ultimately. Of course, as you grow and you diversify into, you know, various departments and everything, you all have that individual focus. But even though I was working in process engineering as an employee, when I was out on the street or with my friends, I'd be promoting the products that I helped to make. Because they're like, hey guys, if we if you're buying drinks, this gotta be the drink here, because <laughs>
0: This is what's paying me and paying other Barbadians. So yeah, that was the first one. Okay, then you're taking chances and revenue is not profit. Yeah, so
1: (laughs) revenue is not profit. That's a good one to follow because many people, especially, it can be a challenge for entrepreneurs. I'm sure many entrepreneurs out there would remember at some point submitting the invoice for your services and getting the feedback from somebody like, "This is too much money for for you." Because they see it as, okay, where am I paying you $5,000? And the typical employee may not consider that from that $5,000, you had to spend $3,500 to deliver the service. Because if you've never practiced entrepreneurship, you're just accustomed to what I receive as my payback is mine. And I choose how I spend it personally. As an entrepreneur, what you receive in terms of income, part should be for you in the calculation but a large part is also for actually running the business paying staff paying rent paying other things that go with it so it's important for employees to realize even if you're working you know in a company now in another organization that although it may seem that the company is you know getting good sales and making good money it may not always be the case if the expenses are higher right And then the last one was taking chances. Right. (laughs) So, of course, in entrepreneurship, you have no choice but to take a chance. And I'll be honest with you, Kevin, I'm not really a risky person. I can't say that I crave risk. And I
0: can't say that I'm necessarily comfortable with it either. But you seem like you calculate those risks. Yeah. Then, then you decide to take those risks. If you see that the upside is worth the risk. That's what it sounds like to me. You don't sound like a wild man to me.
1: <laughs> no, not not a very wild man. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think maybe my wife is even more um, comfortable with the risk than, than I am. Because sometimes I have to tackle my own engineering brain. Like, when you're training engineering, you're very strong on knowing all the numbers and the probability and the tolerance and all these things. So like, in my mind, when I look at a situation, it's not as easy as like just saying, okay, sometimes you feel like if you knew less, it might be easier to take certain steps. However, as you mentioned, by calculating risk or having a, a good idea of what you can see the probability of success is. And sometimes not even that. Sometimes just knowing that this particular thing aligns with the vision of where you want to go. So some things that I, I risk and try, I'm not necessarily sure that has a high percentage of success, but it seems like the next best step I can take to move me towards the vision I see for myself and my organizations. So you take chances, even though it, it may not be financially feasible, but you're
0: sure that by taking this step, it will put me in a position right. to take the next one. Because even if the project doesn't work, yeah. you at least get the lesson from it and you know how to move next time, and you know how to operate it next time.
1: Exactly. And that was a key thing. Like when I left my job, I wasn't sure it was the right time either. For those listeners who may be considering, okay, when should I take this step? When should I do it? I'm in a position where my dream is to be a professional coach, trainer, and speaker. But if you're getting bookings to go and speak and you can't leave because you have to honor your commitment, and that's important, folks. Honor your commitment. Even though you may want to grow your own business, honor where you are today. Do your job where you are today. The time will come and you can take the step if you do it well where you are now. And in taking that step, for me, it wasn't easy. I stressed about it for a while. But you always get signs when you're supposed to make a move. And I got some very clear signs around that time. And I knew in hindsight, that, although it may not have made sense financially, it was the best time. So, like I can help clients now to be in a better place financially, mentally, spiritually before taking a step. But when I did it, I can't say I had it in place for me and it made things harder. But at the same time, having taken a step is like you're behind the wall and you're wondering what is on the horizon, what is around the corner. But you can only imagine based on what it sounds like based on what you heard somebody come up from around the corner and say but until you take the t- step and just peep around it you might see hey it's not so bad and you might see what's better another way that you can take another step to move forward but until you look you'll
0: just be guessing well I mean that sounds like a place I want to wrap but <laughs> um, I have another question but damn <laughs> alright <laughs> so let's say somebody what, they want to think like that, right? They want to think yeah. like an engineer, but they studied some other subject like finance or something, right? That's yeah. arbitrary, right? Yeah. <laughs> How does that person get around to thinking like a life engineer? Well, one good
1: way is hiring a, a coach. could be me <laughs> or it could be somebody else who has what that What do you particular mean it could be brand. somebody
0: else? Be yourself. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but no, I, I believe in abundance, Kevin, and I feel like there's more than enough people for all the coaches out there to have, to have work. So like, I always find the clients who are for me and the people who want to work with me, they seek me out. And and so I, I don't worry about it at all, right? But engineering, like anything else, is something that is learnable. The good thing about having coaches and mentors is that they can accelerate the learning process for you. So you could go online and read the fundamentals of engineering on Google or watch YouTube or anything. But when somebody who is trained in it comes alongside you, it accelerates the process. So, like I said earlier, every coach needs a coach. So, like, even when I was speaking about Usain Bolt or Lionel Messi, they're, like, the top of their class when they're at their peak and at their prime. But they still have coaches. Why is that? And the reason is you cannot be in the game and analyze yourself at the same time. It is impossible. So if you're a cricketer... You can't be completely focused on the net delivery and thinking about my form on that last defensive stroke. You need the coach to pull up the videos and say, hey, step further forward or get further back. So the same thing applies to life engineering. It always helps to accelerate your process and your progress. If you have somebody who who has that experience and the expertise of coaching, because not everyone does. I'll probably do a video and in the future about some tips in picking a good coach because it is very much a relationship and, you know, different personalities and different backgrounds in terms of expertise will mesh better together. How do you scale a coaching practice though? So the key to that um, for me personally is via the internet. So um, we've got a lot of infrastructure in place and... You'll be seeing more online in terms of webinars and online courses and into 2019, where thanks to technology, you know, I can be here. And just like this podcast, it could be 10 or it could be a thousand. But everybody still gets the exact same engagement virtually. So that's where I'm scaling my personal practice. But then for the company, I don't ever want to be the, the, the only coach. So because the John Maxwell team is an entire network as well, I'm able to bring other coaches on board as required. And you have a pool that you
0: can pull from as well. Okay. So before we wrap, is there? I'm giving you open mic, open forum, open platform. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you want to leave us with? I don't think so. I think I will just leave a few words
1: of encouragement, if anything. So wherever you are now, if you are full-time entrepreneurship, if you're running a side hustle, and hoping to become full-time eventually, if you're a young person and you're now starting out, the key thing I want you to remember is that anything, any skill, is learnable. And beyond that, any skill that you can't learn or that you're not actually good at, with the use of leadership, you can bring people around you who have it. So for example, in my work as an author, I can see these stories, I imagine it clearly, but I'm not the best illustrator. I can see what I want the end result to look like, but I'm not training it. So think about who around you you can bring on board to support your dream and make sure that is a mutually beneficial thing. That's not about people serving you and you getting to achieve your dream, that you bring people on board who want to move forward as well. So your dream never stops anybody else from dreaming. You may find out that, hey, in the case of an illustrator, as I write this story, my illustrator has a moment now to become better themselves. That an illustrator is out there for dream, saying, hey, I wonder who I can find to illustrate for. That my my illustrations enjoy and drawing reach the world. Because it always works together in synergy. Just like Kevin and I are here chatting, <laughs> Caribbean Power lunch. I, I like to dream big, you know. So I imagine Caribbean Power lunch being millions subscriber podcasts all across the world. Of course, it's starting in Caribbean, but well,
0: right after you post it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Not yet, but someday soon. And what else I'll do for those who may want to connect with me, maybe get into a session. I'm going to do some free ones at the start of 2019 online. So that wherever you are, you can come have a session with Life Engineering, see if it's the, the right fit see if you feel better, stronger, more powerful by being a part of our online webinars. And I'll leave the link with Kevin that you can subscribe, register, and let us help you to engineer your life and engineer your enterprise.
0: Podcast World, there you have it. Life Engineering with Gregory Skeet. Subscribe to Caribbean Power Lunch at slash subscribe. Check us out on CastBox, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. And with that, thanks, Greg. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. Podcast World Barbados, we are out.